What's up, FinTech fans and taco lovers? A new episode of Taco Tech is starting right now. Hey everybody, this is Johnny Sandquist from Three Crowns Copywriting and Marketing. As always, got the best co-host in the game, Tori Hoppy from Flyer. And today we are very, very, very excited to welcome our guest, Jason Wank, founder and CEO over at Altruist. Jason, thank you so much for being here. It's an absolute pleasure and uh, so glad to join the both of you. You're both people I've followed and looked up to and and uh, and love, love what you both do and all the content creates. It's going to be part of it. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know... Johnny and I have talked about Altruist at least for a year and a half, two years now, and how we just fan girl and boy over it. Um, so we're really excited that you have made this huge slash in our space. Altruist, I think, is just one of those things that if advisors don't know by now, they will know shortly. So we're, again, super stoked you're here. Well, thank you. I mean, um, I think uh, I forget the, the song that it comes from, but I think it's like, you know, they, they play like a sample of Will Ferrell where no one knows what altruist is, but it's provocative. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's all. I love it. Love it. Um, so as getting kicked off here, um, I really love this mission statement that you use for altruist. It's working to make financial advice better, more affordable and more accessible. Um, how are you and your team making this a reality? Cool. So I'm so glad to start here. Um, I think oftentimes it's easy to overlook, you know, sort of the, the mission behind, um, you know, big projects and companies and products. So we try to remind our team internally and, you know, like every single weekly all hands, all of our monthly big meetings, our board meetings, I mean, it's, it's kind of ingrained into the altruist DNA. But um, basically, the first, like the problem, I guess I would say is that you know, in order to get access to great financial advisors, a lot of times those advisors or planners, they have um, capacity constraints. So they might be able to serve, you know, 50 or 100 or 150. But, you know, there's a number, right, by which like when you hit that point, you start getting sort of a you know, diminishing um, ability to to serve people. And as a result, you know, there's certainly um, pockets of the industry where people are working to uh, serve new clients, um, you know, clients that aren't traditionally served by wealth managers, but it, it's still kind of an industry that's dominated with like $100,000 minimums and $500,000 minimums and million dollar minimums. So especially when you get to the asset side of, of kind of the client relationship. Um, and on the planning side, it's a bit different, right? So in a planning relationship, people are doing a lot of really kind of interesting and, and fairly innovative things with the way that they're doing pricing. But if you're trying to like actually, you know, help a client implement a plan, open accounts, invest those dollars, um, and then all of the myriad of service things that happen, you know, whether it be funding, um, distribution, someone might need um, Roth conversions. I mean, like, again, I could go on and on. So so the, the issue is that, you know, again, because there's so much friction um, in the uh, you know, sort of asset management side of the financial advice relationship, it's, it's hard. Like it's hard to open accounts. It's hard to fund accounts. It's hard to manage model portfolios. Um, there's tons of disconnected systems uh, in terms of if, uh, if someone's doing like, you know, fee for a, a, a flat fee for a financial plan, they've got a subscription, you know, based planning method. They've got an asset based pricing. Like they might have three different billing systems, you know, just to collect their fees. 
um, it, it, there's a ton of unnecessary complexities. Like our initial set of tools that we're trying to build are just to remove all of those frictions, right? So that it's very, very easy for an advisor to serve more people. Um, every decision we make around how we're um, kind of architecting the platform, the UX decisions that we make, I mean, they're designed, you know, kind of with like this idea of how can we make sure that anybody that needs access to an advisor, the advisor never has to make, um, you know, a difficult decision about is this client worth taking? Um, even like the, the classic segmentation of clients. Oh, these are my A clients, B clients, C clients. Like that's like actually pretty horrible. Um, I think, you know, like how, like I would feel horrible if like I was referred to in someone's CRM as a D client, um, you know, just because I wasn't rich. Like that just seems inhuman, you know? So, um, so a lot of the tools we build, I mean, that's really the impetus. Like how can we make it a lot easier for great advisors to do their best work and to get rid of things like minimums? Um, and you can do that, you know, but it does, it, it takes a, a really radical way of kind of breaking down and sort of deconstructing the problems that advisors face um, definitely not easy, um, but but that's the idea behind like what are we doing to deliver on the mission? It's it's uh, it's a lot of stuff, right? But it's um, in, in most cases, it's it kind of just answers this question of like you know how can we make sure advisors can serve more people and do a better job at it? Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. A lot of wealth tech firms out there don't necessarily look past the advisor um, as their client, where you guys are looking past the advisor to the advisor's client as your client. So I think that's an interesting take on things because a lot of times you're, you're as a tech company, you're just looking to serve your specific customer base and you're not looking past that. And that's what I think is really interesting with Altruist is that you guys are looking past that mile marker for them and looking at the broader picture of, you know, we need technology in the hands of the investor and those investors right now might not have the, you know, the, the AUM that you're talking about or the dollar value that these advisors want, but they will down the road. I mean, everyone starts somewhere, right? I was 21 years old when I started working at LPL. I had student loan debt, nothing really to my name other than a piece of paper saying I graduated from San Diego State. The idea of like, okay, well, I'll put whatever into a 401k, don't know what it means per se, but like everyone starts somewhere. So I love this idea of, you know, looking past your advisor and going to the consumer um, and saying, you know, what what are they what are their needs? And then how does that help their advisor tackle their their financial needs? Well said. Much more eloquent than my ramble. <laughs> Lori's got like a superior ability to summarize and be concise and like, hit to the heart of things. Um, Jason, you mentioned how you guys go about crafting the UX for advisors. And one of the things that stuck out to me from like the very moment that I saw Altruist was just the level of attention and detail to design and just how, how beautiful and simple, not, not simple as in not featured, but simple as in pretty to look at the, the software is. So I'm just you know curious, you know very well uh, from being an advisor yourself that fintech doesn't typically get described as beautiful or nice to use and i'm just curious where you guys started with your approach to 
design and, and developing the software? Like, who were, what were your inspirations? Because it seems that pretty clear you weren't starting from that build on top of a spreadsheet type <laughs> of approach that a lot of fintech seems to take. Um, well, so thank you very much for noticing. I got to give like a huge shout out to John Sienna, who's our VP of brand and design. Um, he was actually employee number one at Altruist. Um, and John helped me build Formula Folios, my last company as well. Um, just a brilliant kind of, um, you know, first of all, brilliant designer, but really sort of like thinker in terms of um, user experience. Like, you know, what, what does it mean to really delight a user? Um, and like me, you know, he, he has this kind of, um, you know, somehow we, we both have this passion for making financial services better, um, which is unusual with a lot of great designers. I think you probably know that from your time in, in, in fintech, you know, just mm -hmm. in financial services broadly. It's hard to get like a really super talented designer um, to get excited about building B two B to C, right? Like enterprise style, you know, um, applications. Um, but but for us, because of that B two B to C nature, it's funny. A lot of the play on our our design comes from the fact that like our product is used by the end client as well. So it's not just a B two B application. It's not just some big clunky enterprise application. Like it's something where. Um, we realize that a, a, there'll be a lot more users that are actual clients of advisors than there will be financial advisors. And so we want this really kind of consistent, um, consistently simple, easy to use, um, actually enjoyable to use. Like we, we love the, the feedback we get from, you know, consumers like end clients when they download our mobile app and kind of give feedback to their advisors. Like it's really, really cool. But um, to, to kind of like take that a little bit beyond, I would say that um, when we when we think about just the design thinking around um, SaaS applications in general, you know, it's just in our industry for whatever reason. Um, I think that the way that products are built, there's kind of like two paths. There's like one path which is um, someone who is a financial advisor or was a financial advisor. They have um, you know some pain point within their business, and they decide I'm going to build a tool for that. Right, so they're building basically a point solution for a specific problem, and so this is partly why we have like a lot of really complicated integrations in this industry. Like there, you know, you'd go into one advisor's practice, they could very well have like 10 different applications that they're using. Some of them maybe integrate kind of, sort of, but it's not really that great. Um, you know, this is not a, this is not a very efficient way to build a business and to do great work for clients. Um, the second approach is, you know, you have like, you know, more of a classic software company and they listen to everybody. And they build everything everybody asks for. And before you know it, you know, you've got, um, you know, like a user interface with 75 buttons and, you know, nobody ever uses more than three or four of them. But because you've listened mm -hmm. to everybody, you know, you're, you've boiled the ocean with features. It's really easy to get carried away. So, so for us, like a simple thought, like around like the actual, you know, from like a product development user experience perspective is, you know, how can we scale down what we're building you know, so that we're building maybe 20% of the features that people are asking for, but that accomplish 80%, you know, the classic Pareto's kind of principle um, to how the application functions, right? So if our functionality can be 80% of the needs, but we've only had to build 20% of the features and complexity, um, it's just a smarter way to build software. Um, in general, whenever you can do something simpler, the, the risk of it uh, failing is a lot lower um, in, in terms of like software development. So um, so if you're going to have that, you know, as a thought, like you better design it, you know, really um, simple. And then, you know, lastly, like I love great design, right? I think like um, if you if you don't love and appreciate great design as a founder, um, the rest of your team probably won't either. 
you know, I, I would definitely encourage anybody who's an aspiring, you know, sort of fintech entrepreneur um, to think a lot more about the the beauty of the user interface and then the ease of use and the user experience. Like those two things are really, really critical. And, and, and going off of that too, in tandem with that design-led thinking, in my view, is always a complementary content. And you guys certainly produce some really amazing educational content and your marketing is, is fabulous in tandem with that design. So, you know, how did you guys come up with the concept for the Grow blog, the Human Advisor podcast? One of the really unique things you guys do is you've got advisors who come and and host, you know, these podcasts and videos for you and and serve as those kind of spokespeople. And it's a really unique thing. So how did you how did you arrive at that approach for the content that you create for advisors? Um, yeah. So, so, so kind of the first thing, I mean, is that um, as an advisor, I think that you you tend to respect and and learn best from other advisors. Right. So if if hypothetically we just had some even if it was me, for example, I mean, I haven't been an active advisor for you know, a decade plus. So. Um, me sitting there telling people, "Hey, this is what you should do," um, isn't isn't all that impactful, you know. So if, if it's if it's something where it's like the, the purpose is, "Hey, we want to help. We really want to help advisors become better versions of themselves." The best way to do that is to find really great advisors um, to share with each other. Um, and it's amazing how uh, this industry, really, until the last few years, I and mean, we certainly didn't invent this, but the um, there was a lot of like sort of protectionism in the way uh, the way we think about our businesses and our best, like, you know, in other words, like if someone was doing something well, it's like, oh, I'm never going to tell anybody, um, <laughs> you know, but, but it's funny. Uh, um, <laughs> one of the first articles that was ever written about uh, that about me was from like, I don't know, like 10 years ago, I spoke at um, TD Ameritrade's um, annual conference and I, I spoke about blogging and I shared exactly like in painstaking detail, exactly how I went about writing blog posts that were attracting, you know, thousands of visitors every month and bringing in, I don't know, 5 million plus a month of new business. And I don't remember who it was, but somebody like was, so they interviewed someone else like, Hey, what did you think of uh, Jason's, uh, you know, um, presentation? And he's like, there's no way that this actually works because if it worked, he would never tell anybody, you know? And I'm like, that's the dumbest <laughs> thought. Like, you know, yeah. old yeah, school like, this is like your classic, um, yeah, what they call it? scarcity mindset, you know, like yeah. um, it, advisors, yeah. you know, yeah. the great, the best advisors that are cool that you want to hang out with have that abundance mindset. They love coming on, you know, mm -hmm. the human advisor, they love coming on the grow blog and sharing what's working for them. Um, and with human advisor, we did something like really unique in that, we wanted to highlight the people that you didn't always see all the time. Um, Cause there's like, look, there's a bit of a popularity contest, you know, in some respects with like oh, you yeah. know, the same people are showing up in a lot of mm -hmm. the same magazines and look, I get it. Um, but, but I kind of felt like, man, like there's some really under the radar, just awesome people uh, that don't get a chance to share, you know, their background and like why they're so passionate about serving clients. And we're going to go tell their stories um, and very, you know, um, just serendipitously, uh, I, I had a chance to to meet Tyrone Ross. So huge, huge shout out to Alex Chalakian, who met him through Twitter, who we connected in LA, and then he connected with Tyrone, and, and and we hit it off. And, and I just, you know, felt like, man, this is this guy right here. This is a guy that should be hosting this thing. And so, you know, Human Advisor took off largely because like we had the greatest host ever, mm -hmm. who's so good at like helping people um, bring down their you know guards share stuff they've probably never shared before. Um, 
and, and really, I think, make advisors feel more comfortable with the fact that we don't have to be perfect. In fact, it's like it's almost better if you're just yourself, like way better, actually. Um, and so it's been really, really cool. And, and Grow was an offshoot of that. Um, when COVID hit, it was a lot harder to have a big old film crew, you know, like flying around the country, um, doing these like pretty grand video based episodes. But we wanted to just consistently you know, get into the minds of the best advisors that care the most about their clients and, and really get them to share uh, with other advisors you know, what's going on. Um, again, another incredible introduction to Desarte Yarnway, who was just perfectly well-suited for that. I met um, Desarte actually at uh, uh, Wealthstack like two years ago, and I, I saw him speak in a panel, and I was like, I'd never heard of him before. And I, I'm listening to him speak. I'm like, this is like the smartest financial advisor I've ever met. Like he was so perfectly like um, well-suited to articulate ideas that were really complex and make them incredibly simple. Um, and so again, it's just one of these things, you, you, you know, you kind of meet people, they introduce you to folks, but it's been a ton of fun. And I have to make sure I throw at least one more shout out because we have another thing that is called Learn, which is a consumer facing education network just designed to, conflict-free just to help people with the financial planning. And Brittany Castro has been absolutely lovely to work with there. Um, another super talented CFP based in LA. And so it's been like really cool. Like I, I can say that um, I think if we were building a boring brand that didn't care, um, none of these people would have wanted to be affiliated. But I think because going all the way back to Tori's first question, like we really are trying to do something great for financial advisors and their clients. Um, and, and I think as a result, people are very happy to associate with that brand because it's, it's, it's consistent with their own ethos and like how much they care about their communities and their clients. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting too, about the content you guys are creating is that it's starting to tear down those walls of advisors looking to another advisor for support and for ideas, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, Another great advisor is not your enemy. Right. You know, like that's that's not really your competition. Like we, we like there's so much opportunity for great advisors that really care to do well. Um, that uh, yeah, no one should be keeping uh, secrets. Look, if we, if we don't um, all find ways to collectively uh, serve more clients, a more diverse group of clients, like those people are going to go find uh, ways to get help with their money on their own. You yeah. know, they're going to go to Robin. They're going to go to Betterment and Wealthfront and so forth. And and those people are all building great tools, um, but uh, uh, but that's what I think a scarcity mindset gets is is you know people to go find their own solutions, um, which is you know not always the best for for most people. I think that at the end of the day, like you are going to want to work with a financial advisor, but if that advisor is not listening to you and doesn't understand, like, hey, like I I'm interested in in crypto, I'm interested in doing something like a rally road portfolio. Um, and the advisors aren't staying up to date with that, I think it's only going to hurt them in the long run. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So as we've been talking to you, I think people are starting to notice what a great leader you are. And you're kind of allowing your team to just be themselves and create this content for um, altruists. Um, what do you think are the best traits um, business owners need to have to have that good leadership and that team to rally around you constantly? I would say I, I'm hopeful to be a good leader. I, I guess, um, you know, great leaders um, uh, hopefully would never admit they're great leaders. <laughs> you know, I guess by the first thing, but um, I, I'd say like, you know, um, using our own company, I mean, this hopefully will inspire people, whether you're an individual, you know, solo practice advisor, um, thinking about your business or someone who's running, you know, a large enterprise, but 
when when we think about like what it takes to build a great company, um, I really think it is 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 mostly a, a culture, you know, that that has to be created. And in our case, you know, we have three traits that are just you know incredibly important um, to to make sure like we have an exceptional team that is you know laser like focused in in and kind of rowing together. So um, those things are brilliance, which we you know. Uh, the way we describe brilliance isn't that you're like all geniuses, although we have some of those for sure. Um, it's people who are actually like really um, just eager to get better. Um, they, you know, they're constantly learning. So, you know, we have employees that have, you know, MBAs from Ivy League schools and have built billion dollar companies, um, you know, in, and you would never in a million years guess it. Like they're like the most humble, like hungry to learn um, just really brilliant people um, that never would admit their brilliance. Uh, the second thing that is really, really crucial to us is kindness, which sounds kind of obvious, but I'm from the Midwest originally. And um, I think there's this kind of saying about being Midwest nice, um, but life's too short to deal with, you know, total assholes. So um, we just don't tolerate it. It's real simple and straightforward um, to be kind. A lot of times just means, they have to be empathetic and respectful and understand that we might not always agree on things, but we can have a constructive conversation about it. And, and we have to be willing to compromise sometimes like that's totally okay. Um, and the last thing is, is grit and grit to me is just, it's not just working hard and long hours and all that stuff, which is a bit cliche in startups, but it's actually that you want to do really hard stuff. Um, you know, to me, uh, uh, when I started altruist, I mean, I just, I did this because I felt like it was, something I really wanted to do. Like it was an intellectually stimulating um, problem. It's a huge problem. It's like the, this massive undertaking. You think about like, when's the last time someone tried to start a custodian? I mean, nobody does that. It's, it's ridiculous in a lot of respects. Um, you know, if you're going to try to lead people, uh, make sure it's the right people. Once you do that, it's really, it's really not that hard. But if you're going to do something like really, really, really uh, big, and it's, and it's got like the, cha the chance to like, you know, sort of define an industry um, like you're going to find people that are excited about it too. Like you're going to get the best people in the world who are going to be really, really excited. Um, I think like if we get people to think bigger, like that's going to be huge. Like that's going to make, you know, the entire industry, um, you know, better. Uh, and, and certainly as a, as a leader, it's like a lot more fun too. Like, you know, leading a team of whatever, a hundred people is more fun than leading a team of two. I'm not saying there's wrong with two. I've done that as well. Like, <laughs> but you know, but it, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's cool to have like, you know, a bunch of people like that momentum of like a hundred, like, you know, hearts and minds and souls, like all passionately, like charging, you know, towards a certain goal. Um, it, it's really hard to stop. Yeah. And I think that, um, that idea, like a, because I want to say the word asshole, but the idea that <laughs> like you just come out and say, like, we don't, we don't deal with the assholes. I think that's a huge thing to say. I, I remember at T3 last year, like you flat out said that on stage. And I swear to you, we could hear jaws drop to the floor when you said it out loud. And all I looked around, I was like, well, yeah, doesn't everyone feel this way? Like, I don't understand why this is such a like jaw dropping moment. Um, but I guess it is in our space because we are so used to that mentality of like, if you're not a jerk, you're not getting, getting anything done. Um, so I, I appreciate that, you know, a company out there is really standing firm on this idea that like, you don't have to be a jerk to get at where you are. You can, you can grow it with a team around you that are like, like-minded folks that want, that have one goal in mind and you can do it in a way that, you know, is polite and, um, you know, you're trying to make a difference in the world. So I always thought that that was such a, like, 
eye-opening experience for a lot of people in the room because they were just like, what in the world is happening here? Um, well, wait till, uh, I, I think you guys must have missed the, the, the conference before I was on a panel. I think I dropped an F-bomb and it like, you yes. know, <laughs> I think I made it to Twitter. I don't think my mom was real proud of me, but um, look, you know, you can be a nice person and, and still, uh, you know, have a, um, you know, unique vocabulary. Absolutely. But, um, but yeah, if, if you're not going to stand yeah. for something, if, if what we do doesn't offend at least somebody, right, then we right. probably don't have a well-formed, you know, um, you know, and, and worthy, you know, kind of mission. Um, and so, yeah, I, I obviously I'm not trying to do it for shock value, but, <laughs> um, but, but I do think that every once in a while we need to do things different. And I, I am long on kindness. I think there's such an underappreciated trait in business and, and more businesses that would take that approach and make that a central core part of their philosophy would be a lot more successful. Um, just even from employees mm-hmm. loving to be there. Not even from a, a dollar standpoint, but it's a it's an integral idea to shape a company around, and I love that man. Thanks, absolutely love it. But but I gotta ask: is is loving tacos <laughs> also a part of your culture? Because this is the our our culture at Taco Tech is built around the, uh, the love tacos. So uh, you know, this is what we wrap up every podcast. We end we end with this question. What are your favorite tacos? Where are they? Yeah. Um, so of course, you know, I mean, look, you guys started this podcast um in Southern California talking about tacos, you know. Um my I, I always love tacos, right? I'm from the Midwest, I'm from West Michigan, and actually the area I grew up in is there's more Spanish speaking. Like our, our English second language school is larger than our actual regular public high school. So absolutely killer Mexican food. But what I'll tell you is that it's the kind of Mexican food that you have to um, schedule the coma afterwards because it's, it's, uh, it's rich. Yes. Um, when I, which is okay. Right. Yes. That's not my favorite. It's cool, <laughs> but it's not my favorite. When I moved to Southern California, I remember I, I moved to Laguna beach and one of the first uh, spots I, I saw this taco place was called Wahoo's fish tacos, which is actually like a small chain, you know, mostly in Southern California. And I thought to myself, I'm like, who the hell would put fish on a taco? Like, that sounds so nasty. You know, (laughs) I I went in, I I got their spicy, you know, they have one's called the the 1988 classic. Um, And it's uh, a spicy fish. It's actually Wahoo or Mahi, depending on the day or wherever you're getting it from. But, um, and it actually blew my mind. And and, uh, interesting uh, tidbit is I'm a pescatarian. So like, it was like life changing, literally, because I was like, damn, like now I can have tacos every day, like, because I can just eat these bomb fish tacos. And they don't require you to budget a coma afterwards, right? Because <laughs> the, the California style, yeah, it's, it's a little more of a fresh mix, you know. Um, <laughs> fresh mix. So, yeah. So, so anyway, like so that. that is my uh, my favorite taco, hands down. And anybody who hates on fish tacos, like my fellow Midwesterners, like don't don't knock it till you try it. It's uh, it can be pretty life changing. Fish tacos with a lot of stuffing, I can do it. But if it's just like a sad fish taco. <laughs> I'm not it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. As we've said many times, we are inclusive we, on this podcast, and and it's your preferences That's are up true. to you. It's all it's all yes. right. We're vibing <laughs> with it. All right. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being here, man. Uh, it was a pleasure to, to chat with you, and and thank you for giving us the, uh, the details and the skinny. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Well, th- thanks for for sharing. You know, I think the um, uh, it, it's it's easy for us all to kind of 
get locked into what we do on a daily basis. I know you both are are have 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 regular careers that you're doing, and you're super busy. So to like take the time to like just go and in- inclusively bring in other people, you know, from the the fintech and financial advice community is really really cool. So thanks for doing that, and thanks for having me be part of it. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody listening, hang with us next week. Hit subscribe. We'll see you again soon.